tuning into Business Talks with the Rebel Entrepreneur. Let's cut the BS for a sec. No matter how successful you think you are, there is always more to learn about being in business. This podcast is about pushing through adversity, challenging the status quo, and learning what you don't know from kick-ass entrepreneurs who've been there, done that. Let's do this. Here's your host, the Rebel Entrepreneur, Diana Noble. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business Talks with the Rebel Entrepreneur. I'm Diana Noble, aka the Rebel Entrepreneur. Actually, serial entrepreneur is is what I like to call myself because of the various things that I do. And I am so honored today that I have this wonderful guest in front of me, Richard Blank, and he is the CEO of Costa Rica's Call Center. Now, I was just in Costa Rica about a month ago, and I'm going to tell you, Richard. I kind of wish I was again because it's about minus 40 outside where I am right now. And so I'm uh, I'm really happy to be here with you. Uh, Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And as you know, since you've been in Costa Rica, we say Pura Vida. It is a pure life day today. Yeah, absolutely. Pura Vida. Yes. You know, it's funny that when I first landed in Costa Rica and we were getting Denny's at I want to say it was 1.30 in the morning, <laughs> uh, the the waiter that was serving us actually told us that. He's like, here's a couple of key phrases that you need to learn, Porta Vida. And uh, and so that's really great. I did I did hear that all around. Um, so Richard, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Let's go back to the beginning. I mean, you've been the CEO of your own call center since 2008, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. In fact, February 6th, we'll be celebrating our 16th year. And uh, you know, I can't thank you enough for having me as a guest on your podcast. I love the work that you do. What brought me here to Costa Rica? Well, one in a million opportunities come one in a million times. And when I was 27 years old, a very good friend of mine who owned a call center here asked for me to come down for just a couple months to teach English. Well, those couple months turned into four years working with him, but hmm. it really didn't happen there. There is a precursor to that. When I was raised in Philadelphia, Northeast Philadelphia, actually, when I graduated the proud Abington High School, there's some pressure there. A lot of my friends were going on to Ivy League to study medicine and law, and I just didn't have the maturity. I didn't have the grades for Ivy League. I didn't have the structure nor the discipline. And I also had to be responsible because that's a lot of cash and a lot of time. And there's a lot of friends of mine that went to school for one thing and now they're doing very well selling real estate and they didn't have to go to college. (laughs) And so a lot of more film majors, but, um, you know, for me, I had to be true to myself. So towards the end of high school, my Spanish teacher said, listen, you gravitated in my class. Why don't I do this? I'll write you a college recommendation letter. So maybe that might assist you in some of your decisions. And then the late principal, Norman Schmidt, wrote me a recommendation as well, which offset my average grades and got me into the University of Arizona. I was a Spanish major. And I also interned for Telemundo for a couple of years. Post-grad, I worked for the importers of Corona. So my friend, you build on momentum. You get these checkpoints, these reinforcements. And it just wasn't a fun parlor trick. Or my parents said, ah, it's cute for five minutes. This was something I really wanted to learn. I'm an Anglo-Saxon. This was a second language. Yeah, for sure. I mean, going back two generations, sure, our grandparents came from Europe. 
at the turn of the 20th and they had to learn English. But that was my main argument. You know, when I when I said that I wanted to move abroad and I wanted to study Spanish, I said, we're nomads. It's part of our blood. It's part of our tradition. <laughs> and obviously, you can see I love it. And it's not a forced march. And I'm dedicated practice. And I'm getting better at this. Just because you can't speak Spanish or you never moved abroad to start a company, I understand the fact that you have an opinion, but you don't have facts. Mm -hmm. You've never lived it. And so my greatest challenge besides family guilt and also pressures was that I had nobody to really compare notes to. Right. So this was really putting your chest out there and being bold and brave and choosing that direction to swim. And so um, I was willing to do it. Because the most important thing is to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and realize, regardless of the outcome, you did things with honorable intentions and you're still holding holding the course. And for me, this was just a luxury and the stars became aligned. And when I learned the call center business, I didn't see it sea level. I actually learned it from the inside out. And I, I learned all the different departments, but I did learn the biggest lesson of all. And this is why I'm a successful business owner today. When you extend empathy to people, what happens is you give them their dignity. And that's how I was raised. And fortunately for me, it's something that I was able to do this sort of culture here and mix the two. And it seemed to have filtered out the right people to come and stay here that wanted to be part of this culture and environment. Yeah, I really admire that taking that risk because entrepreneurship in itself is a risk, right? Let alone traveling across the world to do it in some place that is semi-foreign to you. I want to just step back for a second. Uh, and one thing that you mentioned was about your, you know, having that encouragement from your mentors in high school, right? Your your teacher, your principal. Yes. And, and I can relate to that uh, very similar story, actually. Um, I was a bit of a rebel, hence <laughs> rebel entrepreneur. Um, but I was a bit of a rebel uh, in my high school as well. And, you know, I really do feel like the school system does set young folks up for failure in a sense, because you're expected to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life before your brain is even fully developed. And so for me, though, uh, it was similar in the fact that I had a couple of English teachers who recognized that, hey, this girl is a pretty good writer. This girl can, you know, punctuate and, and spell. And and let's face it, that is kind of a dying message these days with technology. Now, I mean, we're going back to 20 years here. But anyways, um, it really was that encouragement on my side of things that had me going into school for journalism and and pursuing that as a passion. And those those skills are transferable. And for you, I mean, you probably had no idea that when you were doing school for Spanish that you would end up in a place like Costa Rica speaking Spanish on a daily basis. Like, how cool is that, that that just naturally led there for you? You asked some excellent, excellent questions. If you don't mind, I, I wouldn't mind going back to 1987 and 88. This is the way that I was thinking then. The worst thing ever when I was watching the under pressure video from Freddie Mercury, <laughs> I saw people getting squeezed into uh, subway trains and thousands of people in suits walking down concrete sidewalks. 
And as Pink Floyd would say, a brick in the wall, and that scared me to death. And I realized that could I get a job and could I produce? Of course, I, I know that I could be part of this, this system, but it's invisible walls. And I think in time, it just you know sucks the life out of you and you become a fading flower. You're not even a painting anymore. Mm-hmm. I just realized this, that if I could speak Spanish and it was something that I enjoyed, I might be marketable. There was 50 of my friends that were the coolest cats in town, but no one could speak Spanish. And so I could translate for a doctor, read a contract, get us out of the, you know, the cave and off the plane. And for some crazy reason, it was easy for me when mathematics, science and history were easy for others. In Philadelphia, you have Cubans, Puerto Ricans, you have Columbus, you have all different types of Spanish speakers. And so when I would leave school, I got a chance to speak it at the store, at the restaurant, or just around the way. And so that adds up. Mm -hmm. So there's another half an hour to three hours a day that you're having fun conversations. And so for me, I I was able to get that extra boost, like in the gym and a couple extra reps of, of thought. When someone learns a second language or they dedicate themselves to a craft, Mm -hmm. a colleague, somebody that understands it, realizes the dedication of fidelity. And so when I would speak Spanish, they would love it. And a certain positive reaction from them would be, uh, you know, a little bit more, you know, coffee in the mug or better table in the restaurant, or just that positive escalation to their supervisor and how amazing this person was. Cause I, you know, I picked them up a little bit. So I, I saw the magic dust of it and, I decided to invest my life into it. And yes, you are correct. Look where it took me. Yeah, I really do believe in uh, serendipity in a sense, right? It's like, you know, one you do one thing over here and then, wow, look at where it ends up going over here. And like right? <laughs> that path that you never would have been able to forecast but that yeah. it all ends up being somewhat linear in a sense. Like there's certain aspects of your life that end up being linear just by chance without much thought to them. And it sounds like that's the situation for you. And for me, I always joke that um, I'm a journalism college dropout who ended up owning her own newspaper because that's kind of what ended up happening for me. Never would have thought being in high school having that encouragement from those English teachers going to journalism school, dropping out, and then several years later owning a newspaper. Like it's just, it blows my mind sometimes. Right. And for you, I mean, you just went and started out at a call center in a place where you already knew the language. And then you ended up opening your own call center many years later. So tell me a little bit about that motivation and like that journey. What was the foundation of that? Well, I was getting older. I was in my mid thirties. As much as I wish I started this in my twenties, I didn't have the maturity or impulse control nor the capital. But as I mentioned before, there are certain times when we might be misstepping. Since sometimes you get this shiny thing that moves you over to the right a little bit. And so how many times does someone have to smack me in the face and say, yo man, this is where you need to go. How many hints do I need to give you? And I looked up and I said, okay, I'm going responsibility. I never did see level before. No one ever taught me that. And so after working in my friend center for four years, I mentioned learning, retention, customer support, onboarding, SEO, training, you name it. It was great. So that was my four years to graduate school. 
really good investment of time. Could I have made more money doing something else? Yes, but sometimes you got to do a trade-off. Mm-hmm. If you're working in that blacksmith shop with the best guy in town that makes the best horseshoes, you'd be foolish not to be a squire to that night. And so I was in an environment with some incredible bilingual speakers and experts in IT, individuals with decades experience in the labor law in Costa Rica that could answer my questions. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. So when I left the center, what do you do? I just can't turn key a penthouse place with limousines and all the bells and whistles. So I was smart. I rented a turnkey station from a blended center, which is more of like an enhanced internet cafe. They're all over Costa Rica. This was back in 2007, okay, 2008. And so what happened was I didn't pay for this overhead. Someone else did. Right. So I could just rent that station, turnkey with the computer, some coffee, some toilet paper, and some lights and water. I can pay the taxes, pay the margin, and just scale accordingly. And so I had to pay that premium for at least two years till I had the stability of certain clients and some capital. And then when I left, I rented out space to grow to about 150. And it's interesting because you can buy used equipment for a fraction of the cost because there is a turnover in centers. Mm -hmm. So I was paying pennies on the dollar to buy really good equipment and furniture. It's an excellent way to scale a business. I never overextended. Mm -hmm. I always made Mm -hmm. sure to live and act my wage, be responsible with the taxes so I could sleep at night. And then when I really had the capital and the stability, we purchased a building, put a third floor on it and built it out for up to 300 seats. And slow and steady, like the tortoise to the hare, you can avoid any sort of rabbit holes. You can plan ahead. If something happens, you can find that sort of stability to be able to make the most rational and educated decisions. And I also believe in in delegating responsibilities Mm -hmm. because if you can find the right people for certain departments or little by little, you give them additional responsibilities to build their confidence and see where is the right place for them. I, I love having lieutenants and colonels here. And when people come to me with suggestions and ideas, And you put your ego aside. If you want to be that sort of boss that everyone's afraid of and you're smoking your cigar and licking your thumb and counting your hundies, that's great. But in my world, someone can quit today and be hired at Amazon tomorrow. So they have the leverage. I've also learned one thing too, that there might be things that can affect them outside the office, my friend, and they bring it into the office. And so I try to give people benefits of the doubt or decompress some sort of things and Maybe throw them on a pinball machine or a Pac-Man to get them to chill out for a couple minutes. And these are human beings. And in my industry, you're talking about 160 hours dedicated a week of ripping phone. And so you got to respect the soldier. And I decided to have a certain environment that treated people a little bit differently than the way that maybe you and I were treated at one of our jobs when some supervisor named Billy is screaming at you to make more phone calls or hamburgers or something. (laughs) And that sounds like a personal story. (laughs) Let's not go there. Make more phone calls, Richard. Do you truly believe in that leader isn't only a title? 
You know, there's there's those that are leaders by the nature of what their title is, but that don't exemplify leadership whatsoever. Uh, and then there's true leaders like you who are exemplifying leadership every single day, who are adding in that human element and, you know, who who are making things more than just about themselves. It's walking with your team, not ahead of your team, right? And it's it's being there with them as much as you can um, because you're all working towards a greater goal, which it sounds like is not just the bottom line, but also like personal satisfaction and like being happy and enjoying your life and what you're doing, right? Because like, isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day? It is. I, I believe in synergy. Mm. I'm a very spiritual individual. I'm very humble for how far I've come. And so I know when stars are aligned. And just like that Chuck E. Cheese story, if no one shows up, you have no friends, no matter how much you pretend like you do. And I know that the market speaks. And so every day that my crew shows up is another day that's letting me know I'm doing the right thing. The letters of a CEO. It, it's very interesting. When you get to a certain position that you wanted to get to, it's nice, it's exciting, you feel accomplished, but it's not as sweet as you think it is in regards to that title, because as you say, it's just letters. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of CEOs out there. So it's almost like when a king is telling Beethoven or Mozart, hey, I'm a king. Well, I'm really a one in a million. And so, so you, you can look at it differently. If anyone follows tarot cards, I'm a fool card. I believe in smelling roses and walking off of cliffs with the sun on my back because I believe life is a gift. And every day is really incredible. And how I got here, I got here because I kept connecting and anchoring my stages of life. And if you think everything is a perfect 10 and you bat a thousand, you're sadly mistaken. Mm -hmm. Really, what it's about is moving forward. You do have gravity in this world. You get muscles if you lift weights and you move forward if you persevere. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's really not about telling the naysayers I was correct and you were wrong. Who cares about that I'm either? not caring about the naysayers. Yeah. <laughs> Screw the naysayers. <laughs> you really have to be true to your art, mm -hmm. right? And, and always find ways to pay forward compliments to people. Or learn to smile. I also believe, even though it's more difficult, but I, I have this discipline. I think people should work out more and they should have better diets so they can physiologically feel better. Because once they have that, they can expand on others. I believe in, in downtime, you should put the phone away so you can decompress stimulation, allow image streaming, your mind to wander. Like when you take a long shower or long walk or plane ride or something, you sometimes can separate big piles to small piles and figure out priority and shave fat. And if someone is given the luxury of time and you can sleep on it, so you can write a draft and not send it, you can run it over in your head a couple of times. Chances are the following day, you'll excuse yourself for overextending and atone, realizing the priority, and it only solidifies the relationship and makes it stronger. Because I always judge character during chaos. And I think that's when the true person comes out. Yeah. All right. Well, this is all really great, uh, Richard. Um, and I 
I want to just have you leave the audience with maybe one more tidbit, if you could. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are considering taking the road less traveled? Wonderful question. I can't wait to share this. It's it's not to be hard on yourself. Mm. It's true. I mean, you are deciding to get into the ring and do this. So accept the gold or accept the loss. I mean, it just goes both ways. But as John Wayne says, you're willing to die with your boots on, and I respect that. But I've always clicked my heels and come home and easily got a job. That would have been fine. But then again, I would have regretted for the rest of my days for not even trying. I also believe in if you are responsible with your finances and family, then maybe try this second job or opportunity or investment where you're offsetting that time. And because for me, you work 80 hours. So one day you don't have to work 40. I'm going to retire soon. I don't have to work 40 anymore. So if you're able to put in an 80 hour work week and have time management, then you are capable of starting running a company. And then you just start moving that time and start bringing people in. By all means, go for it. So then we can watch you on this amazing podcast and hear your story. I always like to say, if it's something that you're going to still be thinking about doing five years from now, as in like, what if, what if I had have had the courage? What if I had taken this risk? Then go for it. Because nothing is worse than being on your deathbed thinking about, oh man, all the things I could have done. But if it's something that, you know, like tomorrow you could get over it, well, then maybe it's not the right thing for you and really just decide that for yourself. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for your time. Really appreciate it. If anybody is interested in working with you in the future, being your employee, moving to Costa Rica, taking a chance, how do they get in touch with you? And thank you enough once again for being a guest. Now, I have a very large Facebook fan page, Costa Rica's Call Center. It's got 127,000 local Costa Ricans here. And since you've been to Costa Rica, now you're going to be super famous. I've got a thousand suggestions for your audience that wants to buy a ticket and come visit me. As I mentioned, you have a great podcast. You ask amazing questions. And I hope I was able to shed some light in regards to my crazy vision quest that I took. All right. Thank you so much, Richard. And this has been another episode of Business Talks with the Rebel Entrepreneur. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to Business Talks with the Rebel Entrepreneur with your host, Diana Noble. If you like this episode and want more business tips from the Rebel herself, give at Noble Choice Coaching a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Have a topic you want covered on a future episode? Reach out and let's do it. Now, Go kick some ass.